Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through the rest of the chapter. As we're in this series in the book of Acts, we're looking at just ordinary people, ordinary guys like you and me, who God seeks to use in extraordinary ways. And we certainly see this in the life that we're going to study today. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. He opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I asked you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about some, someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God. Blessed be God. You may be seated. Have you ever wondered, what does God expect from me? What does God really expect from me? Why was I born? Why did God put me on this earth? Why did He save me? I know I've shared before, but in case you haven't heard, this story was about a little boy who forgot to bring his birth certificate to school. And his teacher told him that if he forgot to bring it tomorrow, he would have to stay after school. Well, what do you know, little Johnny 
He forgot his birth certificate, and the teacher made him stay after school. And when he got home, his mother asked him why he was late coming home. The little boy told his mother that he had to stay after school. Well, why did you have to stay after school? He said, I forgot my reason for being here. I forgot my reason for being here. As Christians, we must never forget our reason for being here. God put us down here for a purpose. God saved you. He saved me for a purpose. And we're no accident. We're no mistake. Your life, my life, has meaning and purpose. Well, see, the Christian life is, is really more than coming to church, occupying a seat, singing a few hymns and songs, praying, listening to God's Word being taught and, and preached. All these things are important, and, and certainly we should do these things, but there's far more to it than that in the Christian life. Well, see, the Christian life, and if you don't hear anything else from me, please take this home, Okay. The Christian life, first and foremost, is about obeying Jesus Christ. It's about living a life of obedience to Jesus. Jesus is calling you to follow Him. To love what He loves and to do what He does. Jesus put it this way when He called His first disciples and Matthew 4, 19, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Really, he just summed up the Christian life in those two words, follow me. And to follow Jesus is to obey him. Now, what does obedience look like? What does obedience look like when you see it fleshed out in a person's life? This morning, from the life of Philip, and by the way, just an ordinary guy, that's what we've been talking about, just ordinary people, from the life of Philip, we will see what obedience looks like in action. In action. Now, remember Philip? He was one of those first deacons that was chosen by the early church in Jerusalem to care for the the Jewish widows who felt like they were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Acts tells us that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That says a lot about this man. He was a man who obeyed God in his everyday life. In the big moments of life, in the little moments of life, and in the uncomfortable moments of life. He was a man who obeyed God. In Philip's life, we see what God expects from us, obedience. Now, let's see how Philip did it, okay? Let's see how Philip did it and how we can do it too. I've really got three points. The first point is this. If we're going to follow Jesus and obey him, we must obey him in the big moments of life. We must obey him in the big moments of life. Philip sure did. You know, after the stoning of Stephen, uh, we read that a, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and it was led by 
that man, Saul of Tarsus. We all know about him. In verse 3 of chapter 8, if you go back there, it says, Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women. It didn't matter if it was a woman. He didn't care. He drug them off and committed them to prison. Now, as a result of this persecution, believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, I'm no scientist. In fact, I didn't make good in science. Confession. Okay? But there is a law of thermal expansion that says if you apply heat to a solid, it will expand. I've heard it put this way. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. Well, there is a spiritual law at work here. When the heat of persecution is applied to the church, what does the church do? The church scatters. It spreads out. And that's just God's sovereign way of getting his gospel to people that might not ever hear it. And that's exactly what we see here happening. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 8. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ or the Messiah. So Philip came to the city of Samaria. Let me remind you again, he was not ordained, he was not an apostle, he was not a preacher, he was a deacon servant, he was a layman. But oh, how he powerfully proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ in the city of Samaria. What does this tell us? It tells us something very important. Sharing the gospel isn't reserved for the ordained men in the church. It's not reserved for the pastor or for the preacher. It's for all who belong to Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, listen to me, if you belong to Jesus, you are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You are to do it. Who was being spread about? The ordained men stayed in Jerusalem. That's right. The ordained men stayed in Jerusalem. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Who was spread out? The other folk. The lay people. The ones who were one to Christ there in Jerusalem. They're the ones who spread out sharing the message of Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you are to share the good news. So Philip does what any good Christian ought to do. He shares the gospel with the Sumerians. Now, notice the results in verses 5, excuse me, uh, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Listen, verses 7 and 8. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Countless numbers in the city were saved. They trusted Jesus Christ. God was at work in a powerful way. This great revival broke out in the city of Samaria. See, Philip was, he was obedient at this big moment in his life. And God was at work. He didn't turn back. 
Oh, he could have used many excuses. He could have turned back. You know, Philip was a Jew. Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along very well together. In fact, they hated one another. Samaritans, they were half Assyrian and half Jew, and they were thought of as half-breeds. That's how they were thought of. But you know, Philip, he didn't say, God, I'll go anywhere and preach your message, but please don't send me to Samaria. He says, if I go, they won't listen to me. I'm a Jew. They don't don't like us. No, he was obedient. (laughs) This was a big moment in the life of the church, and this was a big moment in the life of Philip, and he obeyed God. He just did what? He preached the simple message of the gospel. And God turned that city and the people in that city upside down for Jesus Christ. I say great things happen in Samaria because Peter went against the culture and the prejudices of that day. And he obeyed God. And God went to work. What was the result? We've just seen it. Great crowds came to hear the gospel. They listened to him. They listened to this Jew. These Samaritans listened to this Jew. God was at work. Miracles happened. Unclean spirits were cast out. Sick folk were healed. Joy filled the hearts of the people. Listen, when Jesus comes to town, there's joy. When Jesus saves a soul, there's joy. Do you remember the day that you heard the gospel and believed? Do you remember the joy that filled your heart? Realizing that that your sins were all gone, they were under the cross, they were forgiven. You know, this was a big moment in Philip's life and he obeyed and God worked in a marvelous way. He went and preached he went against the culture of the day that said, you ought not to go to, to Samaria. He went against the deep-seated prejudices of the day and said, you ought not to go there. He went against the accepted customs of the day. He obeyed God and God worked in a marvelous way and lives were changed. I'll say, God used this ordinary guy, this layman, to do something extraordinary. Now, let's just pause just for a moment. Let's just pause. And let's just think for a moment about the big moments in your life. What are the big moments in your life? Now, God most likely is not going to call you to leave your home and go to a foreign place and preach the gospel. He might, but that's probably not likely. But he's calling you to be obedient right where you are, right where you are right now in the big moments of your life. Now, what are some of these big moments in your life that God wants you to surrender to him and be obedient? First, if you're a Christian husband here today, you are the spiritual leader in your home. The spiritual leader, that's a biggie. That is a biggie. Ephesians 5, 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You know what Paul is saying? As Christ leads his church, 
Christian husband, you are to lead your wife and your family. You are a leader. The question is, what kind of leader are you? (laughs) You are a leader. Are you leading your family to follow God? Let me just ask this question. If it was solely up to you, if it was solely up to you, would you and your family be here in church today? If it was solely up to you. You know, one day as, as Christian husbands, and I include myself, one day we're going to stand before Jesus Christ at his Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have to give an account to him for our spiritual leadership in the home. Not your wife, but you. That's a sobering reality. It really is. Guys, that's a biggie. It really, it doesn't get any bigger than that. It really doesn't. Your home, your family is more important than anything else in your life. More important than your job, more important than your career, more important than your hunting and fishing and golfing or whatever it might be, any recreation that you might be involved in. It's more important than anything. And I wish I didn't have to say this statement, but I believe it's true. I'm afraid the church has raised up a lot of spiritual wimps as husbands who have advocated their leadership in the home and say, wife, you do it. I might come along, but you do it. Man, I believe God is calling us to man up. And be the spiritual leaders God has called us to be. But folks, in all reality, that just can't happen. For that to happen, you've got to get your heart right with God. And that involves repentance. It involves repentance. It involves humbling yourself before God and say, God, I've made a mess of it. I haven't been the leader that I should be in my home, and I'm sorry. I repent of that. And by your grace and your help, I'm going to start being that leader that God wants me to be. Man, how do you treat your wife? Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Is that true in your home? Is that true in your life? Do you love your wife like Jesus loves his church? The church is Jesus' wife. And I'm telling you, he loves his wife. And what Paul is telling us, that we're to love our wives like Jesus loves his wife, his church. Or to put it another way, we are to love our wives as Jesus loves us, as he loves you. As Christian husbands, we need to cry out to God in repentance for our lack of spiritual leadership in the home. If you're a Christian wife here today, you're to submit to your husband's leadership. 
You're to submit to him. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Paul is saying, as you submit and surrender to the Lord leadership, you're to submit to your husband's leadership. Wow. By the way, I didn't write this. I didn't write this. God did. I'm only quoting what God says. That's all. Wives, are you praying for your husband? Maybe he's not the spiritual leader that that he ought to be. Are you praying for him that he might become that? Are you supporting him? Are you encouraging him to be that kind of leader in your home? And are you following his leadership as imperfect as it is? Ladies, that's God's will for you. And that's a biggie. If you're a Christian parent here today, you're to raise up your children in the Lord. Listen to Ephesians 6, 4. It says fathers, but that, that can be translated parents. It really can be. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. Now, I want you to notice two words here. The two words, discipline and instruction, involves not only teaching them with our words, but being a godly example to your children. Do they see Jesus lived out in your life on a daily basis? Do they sense the presence of God in your life, mom and dad? Do they see you actually reading God's Word? Do they see you praying, not, not at mealtime, but do they see you really praying? I'll never forget listening to a young lady in our, in our former church. And her father had died, and she was telling me how she would get up early to go to school and she would see her father with the Bible on his knee, reading God's Word every single morning and praying. Do they see that in your life? Do they see you serving God in this church or just filling a pew? Do they see you tithing of your income to God? The reason young people aren't tithing today is because we haven't taught them to tithe. Are you sharing Jesus with your children? Again, parents, that's your job. They aren't going to hear it at school. They aren't going to hear it on the ball field. They aren't going to hear it there. If they don't hear it from you, they probably won't hear it. Discipleship begins in the home. Moms and dad, your children need you in their lives more than ever. They're facing issues that you would not believe, or maybe you do. Drugs, alcohol, 
sex, every kind of perversion that you can possibly think of. You better know what's going on in their lives. You better know who they're hanging out with. You better know what they're watching on the internet and on their phone. You better know that. Your children don't need you to be their best friend. They need you to be their parent. To teach them what's right and wrong. To teach them God's word. To show them, notice, show them how to follow and obey Jesus Christ. If you don't want them to drink, don't drink yourself. If you don't want them to smoke, don't smoke yourself. If you don't want them to look at porn, don't look at porn yourself. See, God is calling us as parents to go against this ungodly culture and to raise up our children in a solid Christian home. See, the best thing you can provide for your children is not a great inheritance, but a Christian home. Most important thing you can give them. Now, if you're a grandparent, I'm not leaving you grandparents out. If you're a grandparent here today, you have the unique opportunity to make an incredible impact upon your grandchildren. Don't waste those opportunities. Boy, I'm seeing that more and more. (laughs) With 12 grandchildren, how can I impact their lives? Well, we can pray for them. We can be that godly example and mentor to them. We can always point them to Jesus. You say, well, I don't have a grandchild nearby. Well, adopt one. Maybe that neighbor's kid that doesn't have a grandparent. Maybe you can take that that little fella under your arms and and be a blessing to that person's life. Oh, Philip was obedient in the big moments of his life. And I just want to encourage you, so can we. So can we. But my friend, if we're going to follow Jesus and obey him, we must also obey him in the little moments of life. The little moments. And, and life is made up primarily of, of little moments. Those daily opportunities to obey God. Are you, are you obeying God in those little moments? At work, are you honest? Are you faithful at work? Are you a man, woman of integrity? In your personal life, in your thought life, in those private moments when no one else can see, are you obedient to God? Oh, Philip was obedient in the little moments. He really was. In that great revival there in Samaria, God suddenly (laughs) moves him. Man, God was doing a great, great work, but God suddenly moves him, of all places, to a desert road in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure you've heard of a bridge to nowhere. Well, this was a road to nowhere. It really was. A little know-nothing place called Gaza. We read in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and, and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. 
You know, it would have been very easy for, for Philip to become discouraged and, and say, Lord, I just don't understand what's going on. I don't know what you're doing. Great things are happening here in Samaria. I mean, people were being saved by the scores. Do you really want me to leave all of this and go to that deserted desert? Lord, there's nothing there but sand. What good could possibly result from that? But that's not how he responded. He obeyed God. He was ready to go anywhere, at any time, even in the little moments of life. And you know, we all have those little moments. Are we obedient? You know, they might seem little to us, but I guarantee you they're big to God. Let me just mention a few briefly. The little moment of prayer. Folks, I believe that God is calling us as a church to prayer. I really do. To pray for revival because if God doesn't do something in your heart, in my heart, if he doesn't do anything in the life of this church, if we don't know his presence, we will not be able to impact anybody for Jesus Christ and make disciples. And I'm calling the men of our church to lead the way. To lead the way. We are the leaders. Men, will you join me in praying for revival? I'm going to share the details with you later. And I will talk to you more about that. But we must be men of prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, notice that, humility, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what God is saying? If we meet, if we meet those conditions, God will send Revival, personal and corporate revival, if we're willing to do that. We've got to pray. We've got to pray for the presence of God to come down upon us as individuals and as a church. And secondly, there's the little moment of Bible reading. God has called us to be men and women of the book, to study, to read, to obey God's word. A a few weeks ago, I challenged you to get into God's word daily And it was encouraging to hear some of you saying that you're doing that. And I'm so glad. Are you in God's word daily? And then there's the little moment of church attendance. You know, neglecting church is not a new thing. No, it goes back to the early church. There was a problem in the early church because the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as The habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You make a big mistake, in fact, a tragic mistake, when you walk away from church. 
And so God gave us the church for a purpose. I mean, God put us in a body. God, God put us in a community of faith for a purpose to support one another, to encourage one another as we approach the coming of Jesus Christ. Because as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, life down here is going to get harder and harder and harder. And we need one another. We need one another. You know, it's, it's encouraging to see a big crowd Sunday morning. It's a little discouraging to see 2025 Sunday night. It really is. Let me ask you, I mean, what could be more important? A TV show? Sports? Game, reading the paper, what could be more important than meeting together to study God's Word and to pray? That's what we do Sunday night. We pray more than we study God's Word, but we pray. And then if we're going to follow Jesus and obey Him, we must obey Him in the uncomfortable moments of life. the uncomfortable moments of life. Look at verse 27 through verse 31. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Cadence, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Peter, uh, Philip to come up and sit with him. God put him in an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> just, just put yourself in his place. You know, God often does that. God often puts us in uncomfortable situations to get us where he wants us to be. So here is Philip in the middle of this desert, this road to nowhere, sweating like a pig, I'm sure. Out there in the middle of nowhere, and along comes this impressive chariot carrying this high-ranking Ethiopian official. Now, to top that off, the Spirit speaks to Philip, whether it was an audible or what, I'm not sure, but... He speaks to Philip and he says, flag down that chariot. Flag it down. Man, that must have been very intimidating for Philip. To run up and stop the chariot carrying such an important person. This Ethiopian was a Gentile. We also know that he was a black man since he was an Ethiopian. But he was a worshiper of the true and living God, the God of Israel. He was returning home to Ethiopia after worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. As Philip approaches the chariot, he overhears him reading the prophecy uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, which speaks of Jesus' death on the cross. Verse 32, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Philip asked the Ethiopian, Do you understand what you're reading? 
He says, how can I unless someone guides me? Now, even though Philip was put in this uncomfortable situation, he didn't hesitate to share with this man. Verse 35, it says, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. In other words, he started here, but he didn't end here. He had a sermon, I promise you that. I'm sure he, he, he talked about Jesus' birth, his virgin birth. He talked about all of this, went to the cross, resurrection. He included everything, I'm sure. See, Philip, he obeyed God and shared the gospel. And the Ethiopian believed, and he was baptized. By the way, that's the way it ought to be. <laughs> you believe and you're baptized. You know, a lot of people get the cart before the horse. You know, you believe the gospel, you're saved, then you're baptized. If God had not placed Philip in this uncomfortable situation, and if Philip had not surrendered to the Lord and obeyed, this Philippian, this uh, Ethiopian would have returned home as lost as he came. Of course, Jesus is our great example of obedience in uncomfortable times. You know, leaving heaven's glory, that was not comfortable. Taking on human flesh for Jesus, that wasn't comfortable. Dying on a cross, there was nothing comfortable about that. But he obeyed his father. I love what Philippians 2.8 says. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus was, in, was obedient in spite of all the discomfort he endured for us? You know, let's face it. It's uncomfortable to share the gospel. It is. It is for anyone. It can be scary. It can be unnerving. It can be intimidating. But you know, we can't let discomfort stop us from sharing the hope that people need in Jesus Christ. You know, Philip, he wasn't a superhero. not Just an ordinary guy. A deacon servant, a layman who was obedient. He was obedient in every area of his life, in the big moments, in the little moments, and even in the uncomfortable moments. He knew these Sumerians needed Jesus, so he gave them what they needed. He knew this Ethiopian needed Jesus, and he gave him what he needed. He stepped out of his comfort zone and shared Jesus. How about you? You know, heaven and hell might depend on it, really. You know, I believe every Christian could benefit going on a mission trip. Amen. I know what you're saying, old pastor. I wish you hadn't have said that. But I really believe every Christian could really benefit going on a mission trip. Amen. Because you'll see the world like you've never seen it before, and you will see God using you like you've never Seen him use you before. We have two opportunities this summer. One in Baltimore and one in Nicaragua. Yes, it can be uncomfortable. Yes, it can be intimidating. 
that it can be the greatest week in your whole life if you just step out in faith and trust God. Now back to the story. What happened next? Well, God sent Philip away to another place. Well, what do you find him doing when he got there? Doing the very same thing that he did in Samaria and on that desert road, sharing Jesus. Look at verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What a lesson we can learn here. Folks, wherever God puts you, he puts you there for a purpose to be a witness for him. Wherever God moves you, he moves you to be a witness for him. In the big moments, in the little moments, and in the uncomfortable moments of life. Let's pray together.